This presentation is from UX Australia 2016, held in Melbourne. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. So I'd like you, uh, hang on, I would like you to introduce, that doesn't make any sense. I would like to introduce you all to Ash Donaldson, who's from Tobias and Tobias. I know that, I mean, I, I'm not saying guys. I never, I'm like, I'm, I'm anti-guising at the moment, so y'all is fine. Um, <laughs> it works really well. Um, Ash is from Tobias and Tobias and going to talk to us about design details. And I'm a detailed designer, so I love details. <laughs> Thanks, Ash. Thanks, Donna. Um, so, for, for those of you who were here for Andy's excellent talk, thanks, mate. It was great. Um, space, the Eameses and small things making an impact. It's a fantastic segue into this. So the 25th space shuttle mission is now on the way after more delays than NASA cares to count. This morning, it looked as though they were not going to be able to get off. 15 seconds, velocity 2,900 feet per second, altitude 9 nautical miles, downrange distance 7 nautical miles. So, as you heard the presenter there, um, the project had experienced multiple delays. The, the pressure was on for this launch to succeed, and people were wondering what, what harm could come from uh, a little O-ring being a tiny bit outside its, its operating temperatures, a, a little too cool for it. It's such a small component in such a large, complex bit of machinery. The project was over time, it was over budget, that had to, had to stifle a number of launches. There was so much pressure just to get this thing off the ground. It wasn't like an O-ring was going to hold them up again. The details are the details. Small things can have a really large impact. So I'm lucky enough to work with a talented team. As we were moving into our new digs here in Manly, um, we got to reflect uh, together on where we were as a company, uh, what, what we'd done, how we were doing it, and how we want to do it in the future, and the types of things that we want to do in the future. We got to reflect on our practice. Of course, we burned through lots of post-it notes, and we even got to design some furniture and fit out during that time. But a recurring theme that kept on cropping up uh, across a span of different exercises and different things that we were looking at was the lack of time and space to to learn and reflect. My team are, are all great researchers and designers, but they need breathing room to really excel, time to soak up, reflect, and focus on the details. So why is this relentless time pressure with clients? It all comes down to a quest for efficiency. World War II uh, prompted manufacturing to make leaps and bounds forward. On one side, it was the birth of human factors, the foundation of human-centered design, the, the stuff that we practice, which was fantastic. On the other side, it also ushered forth the, the birth of rapid production to a scale that no one had experienced before. And with this, of course, came defects and inconsistencies. This drove a number of trends in manufacturing. Um, over the coming decades, starting with total quality management, uh, just, just to continuously improve processes. 
then into things like the, the Toyota production system to reduce waste throughout the process, and lean manufacturing, which had the, the, the double-edged uh, sword of, of um, increasing efficiency and removing waste altogether. The design of corporations have their origins in the, the assembly lines of the Industrial Revolution. So it's no surprise that they adopted the, the same types of approaches as the manufacturing industry. White-collar work moved from highly structured but often wasteful waterfall projects, um, things that you, know, you can see this mimics the, the assembly line, to Six Sigma in an effort to reduce defects, agile to increase velo velocity, and lean now to remove waste. Corporations have shareholders to answer to on a quarterly basis. And the shareholders expect continuous growth. When a market is saturated, this means making more efficiencies. Because corporations are, are built on the, this assembly line model, every unit, every staff member has their KPIs to meet. And they're assigned these KPIs by someone above them. Marketing needs something new and shiny so they can promote it. Um, business needs to de uh, deliver more projects on time and on budget. And engineering needs to increase their, their production velocity. The one common theme across these is speed. Speed to business case, speed to, to develop, speed to test, speed to market. So each year the KPIs get higher and the de uh, arbitrary deadlines become shorter. And we've got to work within this framework. Research and design has been forced to, to follow suit because it's situated within this. So these types of tools, frameworks, templates, patterns, gels, they're, they're fantastic for maintaining consistency across a large organization and for scaling. But they're often developed really quickly and wielded heftily as incontestable truths. Now, corporations used to have uh, research and development centers, uh, places where pure research w was allowed to, uh, to explore and labs uh, within which experiments could be conducted thoroughly. These guys were looking five, ten years ahead at all times. So they were exploring new fields and, and just playing. Some companies like Steelcase, Ford, and Intuit still have these, these R&D centers. But um, for, for many, the need to demonstrate a, a direct impact on the next quarter's bottom line has meant that R&D just got scratched in a quest for efficiency. Of course, to fill the vacuum left uh, and propel new products, corporations turn to outsourcing to agencies, or even worse still, uh, simply having management generate new ideas. Now that design-centric companies are approving their worth uh, by significantly outperforming the market, Corporates are again sitting up and taking notice of this. They're bringing research and design in-house with you know, your, your CX and UX units, but also innovation centers, internal startups and incubators. And this is great, but even these are given little time and, and breathing room to really understand problem spaces. They follow lean methods, and so researchers and designers only ever get to scratch the surface of actual needs that will drive innovation. 
One of my team, Michael Palmier, is doing a, a talk tomorrow uh, on, on ethnography, and he goes deep into this, and it's really worthwhile seeing, so go see that. Um, of course, the agency model continues uh, as a large part of, uh, of supplying and supporting these internal research uh, and design functions. Hell, most of my team are today in one organisation or another doing that. Um, but the purpose of this talk is, is basically to explore how we can do this better. I promised you the Eameses. Uh, the, the title for this presentation, obviously, it came from the famous quote by um, Charles and Ray Eames, that the details are not the details, they are the product. It's been conflated in a number of ways over time, but the, the point is the Eameses obsessed about details. They espouse that every product is simply an emergent property of the details. When they designed the, the Eames upholstered wire chair, it had simple screw-on feet, um, and those feet uh, came in cheap and seemed to do the right thing. But after a few months of internal use, they found that they slid around too much, and sometimes the feet actually broke off. And so they iterated about 40 times until they ended up with a welded ball at the end of that curve uh, covered by a, a solid nylon glide that is on the chair today. You can feel the difference between a genuinely built Herman Miller Eames upholstered chair and a knockoff that looks exactly the same. And I should know, in our office, a number of them are just lying in pieces because we went for some knockoffs. Um, <laughs> the details are not the details. So the Space Shuttle Challenger was a, a horrific lesson in details adding up to the overall function. The Eames chair was about details adding up to the overall quality. But there's so much more. There's a strong desire in the industry to move from that manufacturing culture to the experience culture, to shift focus to what people feel, think, and do. Everyone wants their customers to love their product or service. It's inherent in us. We, we love this. That's why our field exists. Organizations want to design for experiences. But by commodifying design, it, it faces the risk of only producing bland, boring, and homogenous results within these structures. Trying to please everyone pleases no one. Good design finds it hard to exist within the, this type of environment. It requires time to reflect, refine, and obsess over the details. And it also helps to have a deeper understanding of how we feel, think, and do. So humans are pattern-matching creatures. We can't help it. Uh, it it's the way our our brains are wired, um, and we're so good at it that we see patterns where none exist in randomness. And although this enables creativity, as we were told this morning, um, it's also sometimes our downfall. Think of gambling. That's where that comes from. People seeing patterns where none exist, and that's known, uh, an effect known as apophenia. The best-known form of apophenia is pareidolia. This is our inbuilt bias or our hardwired bias to, to see faces in randomness. This is my son Archer reading a book before bed a couple of nights ago. Oh. Face! <laughs> Can you show me the face on the truck? Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you. So he just told me, he's cute, isn't he? He just told me the truck was angry. I asked him how he knew that. He said, it's on his face, Daddy. 
Now, we all know that cars have faces. Uh, so when you're uh, designing a, a self-driving car that you don't want anyone to hit, it's best to make it look neotinous and innocent. Because uh, that, that, that's what the designers at Google did here. They knew that they were going to have to make it drive overly cautiously. And they didn't want people hitting it. So, you know, think of, of yourself. Even if you're frustrated in San Francisco traffic, would you hit a puppy dog like this? We see patterns in randomness of every kind, from hearing sentences in records, um, playing backwards, to seeing Jesus in toast. Uh, our brain is constantly seeking shortcuts just to save a few calories on processing. And so it substitutes for equivalents that are just good enough. Um, this leads us to ascribe human traits to anything that grabs our attention with which we interact. That's known as anthropomorphism. That's why we swear at buggy software and services. Hello, census. Um, coerce golf balls to find their holes going, come on, come on, get in there. Uh, snuggle pillows and give our cars names. We emotionally engage with products that come to our attention. As designers, this is a powerful insight that we should use, that we should use purposely, but we often don't because it gets lost in the details. So details can affect how we feel. The Tesla Model S door handles extend as you approach the car. It's an assertive, welcoming gesture that says, I've been waiting for you, let's go, let's go for a drive. That's a perfect gesture to expect from a sports car. The reason the door handles are flush with the car is to reduce drag, and that extends the, the battery range, which is a, a perfectly sound engineering idea. And from an engineering efficiency point of view, it would be much easier to keep those handles extended at all times until someone engages drive and then pull them in. But from an emotional point of view, it's much better to create a new proximity sensor in the key. Something that says, as the person walks up, extend that handle. Details like this frame the mood for a driver. It starts the experience on a high note. Experience can't be designed, even though we call ourselves experience designers. We can design products and services, but an experience itself involves a person's memories, their, their emotions, their background, their knowledge, um, their context, the mood as they interact with your product or service. Now, this little detail is an effective way to design for an experience. It sets up that experience. It gets it kicked off on the right foot. Tesla has thought, uh, put, put a lot of thought into many such details to make up their, their car. And now the car not only extends the door handles, but for the driver, it'll open the door as you approach as well. So they're just building on that success. Now, doing this, uh, among many other things, has seen Tesla starting to disrupt the auto industry. The details are not the details. Can we make sure the sound's on for this, please? One of, one of my team members, Elise, was sad when she had to change her Samsung washing machine for a Melee because they were kind of catching on fire. Um, <laughs> she said she missed the happy little song it, it sung to let you know that the washing was finished. Put it in the dryer. 
So, whilst most machines buzz or click at the end of a, of a wash cycle, uh, the Samsung machines play Schubert's Trout Quintet. Now, in a culture driven by efficiency, uh, obviously the, the circuit board and speaker required for this should have gotten chopped out of this. It shouldn't have been put in in the first place, but it's a, a Korean cultural thing to have this, so a lot of Korean devices have this type of thing. Um, so it's redundant and wasteful from an engineering point of view and from a business point of view. But ask the customers, apart from when they catch on fire, uh, and Samsung washing machines and dryers gained the highest customer approval ratings of any devices due to a happy little song that they sung. Now, of course, that happy little song for some people is going to annoy the crap out of them. But... That's the risk of designing for emotional engagement. You polarise people. Some people will hate it, but some people will love it. It'll make uh, a tedious chore fun for some people. As you can see, the, this is Reddit comments. And you know what Reddit's like. Everyone loves it. Um, so the details are not the details. And speaking of tedious chores, Philip Fehlinger, he's the head of design over at Zero. So the, the guys who, the, the founders of Zero have a tagline, making a, a beautiful accounting software, and that's what their vision was until Philip came along. And together with him, they upped the ante to a vision that posed a momentous design challenge for him, which was make accounting sexy and fun. Now, that's a big goal to strive for, but everything they do adds to that. He's described the amount of obsession that they put into, uh, built into the reconciliation process on mobile. So we've got mobile here. Um, and not just the way it, it intelligently finds, uh, finds the, the types of things that match, um, but the timing, the easing in and easing out animations as the cards move. The way they flip over and fall away quickly as if to say, see, that was easy, let's do another. And it actually gets you doing your bookwork. Now, Xero was a small software startup out of New Zealand. It's now taking significant market share from accounting behemoths like MYOB, Sage, and Quicken. The details are not the details. They can even affect how we think. So the problem with maps is we don't really trust them yet. Uh, we, we like to feel in control. We like to have that locus of, uh, of control at all times, especially when driving. If we see traffic ahead and we know the area, we just think, oh, well, I can duck down this back road. Just to feel confident that, that we're making progress along the way. The problem is it often takes us longer doing this because 100 other people have had the same idea at the same time and you're stuck in a little back road. Google solves this with a little reassurance. When they bought the, the mapping software Waze and folded it into uh, their, their mapping software, they kept the voice prompts, which people had complained about because they talk over your music. Um, and, and these prompts are what might seem to be redundant information in a mapping system designed to get you from A to B in the, in the shortest possible, possible route. Um, and it starts with it just saying, you're taking the fastest route. It's all clear ahead to your destination. 
And if you do come across traffic uh, along the way, before you can duck off down a back road, it'll say, there's a seven minute delay ahead on Pitwater Road, so this is still the fastest route. You're 20 minutes from your destination. Now this helps the, the driver feel in control and get to their destination on time and not block up more traffic. The details are not the details. It's all about timing, everything. From the day you're born to the moment you die. It's just a matter of timing. It's from Manchild. Um, in the judicial system, timing is everything. Researchers analysed 1,100 decisions made by the Israeli Parole Board. Now, on, on the surface, they found that a third of the, the prisoners got parole, and that's great. But um, when they analysed it further, they saw over a timestamp that prisoners whose cases were heard early in the morning um, were, received parole 70% of the time, whereas prisoners who had the same kind of circumstances, if their, their hearing was late in the afternoon, had only a 10% chance of receiving parole. This is due to a cognitive effect known as decision fatigue. And we get decision fatigue just from you know, deciding what to wear of a morning, from all, all those tiny little decisions. What am I going to have for lunch? And when you're having to make judgments on people all day, you go downhill very quickly. So the time of day can impact a prisoner's freedom. The details are not the details. Now, we all know that clothes can make you feel different. Uh, they can make you feel more confident. They can make you feel relaxed. They can make you feel sexy. They, they can make you feel lots of different things. But they can also change how well you think. In an experiment, people were asked to do the Stroop test. Now, the Stroop test is what's known as an interference test. It's a standard cognition test in which you have to try to say the, the color of the type, not what the word says. So it, it creates this little interference conflict in your head. And it's tricky, so people make errors when they're going through it quickly. For this experiment, one group was just dressed in their street, street clothes, and the other group was given a white coat that they were told was a lab coat. People in the lab coats performed twice as well as those in the, in the street clothes. They made half as many errors. They felt smarter, and they were smarter. They paid more attention. The experimenters worried that it was the heft of the coat. Maybe putting it on increased some blood flow. Maybe it was the, the colour reflecting on them. Maybe it was the smell. It could be anything. So they wanted to reduce as many variables as possible and test it again. And they did. This time, everyone wore a white coat, except the first group was told, this is a painter's coat, and the second were told, this is a doctor's coat. The doctor's coats outperform the patients again, uh, uh, the painters. This effect is known as enclosed cognition, and it's something that can be seen, it, it makes you smarter and it makes you dumber depending on, uh, depending on what you wear. A piece of clothing can affect how well you think. The details are not the details. And because we practice behavior design, this is uh, the, the favorite area for us, details affecting what we do. In a bottle shop, there was an in-store display of, of German and French wines. Over a two-week period, 
the German, uh, German and French music was played on alternating days to see if there was any effect. When German music was played, it led to German wines outselling French ones by 73%. When French wines, um, uh, when French music w was played, the French wines outsold the German by a more robust 77%. Were these consumers aware of the music affecting their decision? 86% of people as they were surveyed as they, they went out said no, they didn't even notice that there was music. This is a simple demonstration of priming. And fun fact, your, your environment is always shaping your behavior, whether you know it or not, um, and whether it's designed to or not. The details are not the details. In dentistry terms, people who book an appointment but then don't show up because they're scared or, or find an excuse to, to uh, not do it are known as failure to attends or FTAs. This behavior, of course, poses a significant problem for scheduling and, and for, um, uh, for the practice of, of dentists. We addressed this issue for a client uh, by leveraging some social commitment and consistency uh, biases in their practice handbook. Um, so there's two scenarios for this. In person, the front, staff de uh, front desk staff just give you a card, an appointment card. They ask you to write down your appointment and then read it back to them. That has two effects. First of all, you're writing it down so you're making it concrete. And second of all, you're making a social commitment to someone. And when the NHS implemented a, a similar uh, technique across their GP, uh, GPs uh, across the UK, the failure to attends dropped by 30%, saving them 250 million pounds. The second scenario was just over the phone. So when someone makes a, a booking, then the, the uh, reception has to say, will you please call if you have to change your plans? And then critically, they hold. They leave a pause, which means that you have to say something. So when you say something back, you're making that social commitment. An experiment carried out in a Chicago restaurant demonstrated that that simple pause, that bit of silence, dropped their no-call, no-show rate by 66%. Now, these recommendations are, are now proving their value across a, a national network of, of dental practices because the details are not the details. Dustin Curtis is a blogger who famously did a, uh, an experiment that you might know about to increase his Twitter followers. It was just uh, a simple series of multivariate uh, tests on his call to action, um, building on success each time. At the bottom of each of his posts, he has a little bio about himself, and in that, is, uh, in that short blurb is a call to action to follow him on Twitter. The baseline for this was what he had in the first place, which is, I'm on Twitter with a link on, on Twitter. He had a conversion rate of 4.7%. Trying some variations on this uh, led him to follow me on Twitter, which gave him a conversion of 7.3%. So he was running usually five to ten uh, different versions at a time, just pumping different people through this. He built on the success of this because he couldn't get it any higher than 7.3% uh, with uh, that number of words. So he built on it by adding to the, the preceding words. And you should follow me on Twitter got him to 10.1%. And then a few more tests, just adding to the other side and shifting where the link was, took him to 
Now, tweaking a few words uh, in, a, in a series of, of cheap and quick experiments that you know, took him a few minutes to set up and analyze increased his conversion almost threefold. The details are not the details. So writing a presentation is a great time for reflection. Uh, writing one on the back of an internal uh, workshop looking at our practice was kind of perfect time, which is why I love doing UX Australia. In a rush to meet deadlines, it's easy to forget about the details, rationalizing that they'll be picked up later. You know, we can just do the frameworks and it'll be picked up later by, by someone else. Um, but the reality is that products in BAU, um, when they get released, basically have little budget to refine or improve. There's little chance of injecting meaningful personality, persuasion, or action into a product after release. So in the upfront piece, we've got to look at these types of details. In our practice, you know, looking back at, at what we've been doing, there's a number of things that, that we've been doing, some unconsciously, some haphazardly, and some insufficiently. So I'm just going to share a few things that, that I'm starting to formalize in our studio. So as we've discussed, good design requires time to reflect and cogitate. We can try and educate our clients, but this won't change their KPIs or reality. When we're working within corporate structures, we're working within that assembly line, where the demand for greater velocity is unabating. But here are some things that have worked for us when planning engagements. In longer engagements, where they're waterfall projects or large research projects, just staggering research and analysis throughout a project into tiny little bits, breaking research into small chunks and starting thematic analysis early, it gives us the ability to, to easily digest the information, reflect and pivot. You know, just having a weekend between uh, doing uh, research and thinking about something completely different gives you that time to make those connections. In Agile, we build in more space. Uh, so at the end of an ad, Agile sprint, you usually have a retro demo showcase. What we're doing is, in the planning, building in more space up front uh, to, to develop that, that retro um, and, and showcase. And that gives us the ability to discuss and reflect more on the prior sprint and better adapt for the next sprint. And in Lean, we're going so fast at it constantly, uh, especially during the, the research phase. What we're doing is we're building in daily summaries, which it's an easy sell to the stakeholders saying, we want you to be part of this. If you can't come along with us for the research, we want to give you a 10-minute summary at the end of the day. And this means dropping one participant per day because it takes about an hour and a half just to, to think about it and discuss it and put it together. But it gives us that time to reflect, to sketch, to understand what, what we saw that day. And then we've also implemented Fly Home Fridays uh, just recently. It's something we're establishing with, with clients in the statements of work. Um, and we're doing this up front. We're setting that expectation because it's going to deliver them more value. Teams can shift gears and allow for abductive thought when they come back and, and work together. We're structuring Fridays so everyone can learn something new. Um, they can share their projects internally, and they give and receive critique from, uh, from the wider team. This gives the client uh, the benefit of many minds on their project, and it gives us the, the benefit of looking at it through a different lens. And we should always 
think about designing for emotional engagement, it's a really simple thing to do to create a personality for products or services. What John Colco refers to as designing a product stance. We're not going to please all of the people all of the time, so we should stop trying. We, we should stop sanitizing things and making them as generic as possible just to, to avoid that bad feedback. It guarantees that nobody will love your client's product, but they may still hate it. To define a product stance is quite simple. First, uh, you identify aspirational emotional traits, you know, four or five things like it being spirited, lighthearted, sexy or fun. And from these, you establish emotional requirements. Um, things like our product will always be revered in a crowd or our product will always tempt users to do, a, do slightly illogical things. And finally, use these requirements as a set of constraints. It can help inform launch priorities, content strategy, and product features. And this is where you'll start defining things like door handles that extend for people and little songs that play at the end of washing. At Tobias and Tobias, behavior design is something we're passionate about and known for. But it's a field in its infancy and we're a growing team. So to stay on top of it is critical as the corpus of knowledge grows um, and as our team grows. So to encourage continuous learning in this area, each week we're, uh, during our Fly Home Fridays, we're going to be instituting a, a behavioral bias that, that we learn and discuss. We've also started playing Dan Ariely's Irrational Game, which is really cool. Um, it's a bit nerdy, but it's really cool. Uh, just as a fun way to learn the results of more studies and, and test our own knowledge. We've designed platforms for clients to run randomized controlled trials because we do a lot in health behavior. And this has basically been to, to test behavior change interventions and also to pro provide feedback for physical locations and, and stores. Of course, we've also used these same platforms and tools that we've developed to rapidly refine details uh, for engagement and interaction, much like Dustin Curtis did with his multivariate uh, experiments. Um, trials run on Hello Sunday mornings, uh, onboarding over a few weeks, uh, we were able to increase conversion by over 40%. Uh, and it cost us almost nothing to do once we'd set up the platform. And even better still, the client was able to do it and the client was able to continue to experiment and evolve their product. We need to sell this idea better of product as an experimental platform. To, to give people that feedback loop that they always need. It's setting our clients up for long-term success when they transition to the often cash-strapped BAU. Long after we've gone, they should be able to be, be equipped to continue to experiment and evolve their product or service. So the challenge of disaster is a cautionary tale um, of what happens when we bow to arbitrary time pressures. To do good design, we have to care about the details. We can't just succumb to the pressures of the manufacturing economy when our clients really want to shift to the experience economy. We've got to give them ways to do that. We have to create the time to reflect and understand. We have to use our knowledge of emotional engagement to bravely design for interactions that may polarize users. We've got to learn more about how people make decisions and what affects their behavior and create platforms to encourage uh, products and services we design to be continuously refined. We have to create ways to design well within that, um, 
assembly line model to find ways to prioritize details that don't correlate with the bottom line if we want our designs to be loved by those who use them. Because the details are not the details. They are the product. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2016. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.